Hello and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Reams. And remember, if you work for a company looking to expand its reach in esports, Esports Network has opportunities across digital media, podcasting, and video programs. We are looking for sponsors across the entire Esports Network portfolio. If you work for a brand that is interested in that opportunity, please reach out to Esports Network CEO Mark Timmick using the email in the bio of this show. So welcome into another episode. We're rapidly approaching 200 here on the Esports Network podcast. We're also approaching the two-year anniversary, two milestones I'm pretty excited for. Today, we have a great guest, what I'm really excited to talk to. He's Aaron Fletcher, the CEO of Repeat.gg. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Mitch. Repeat is an esports tournament platform that uses AI and automation to create competitive experiences in tournaments that have the capability to host millions. They work with brands like Honey and Zaps to use gaming tournaments as a way to reach the gaming audience. They also provide important analytics to help brands measure the success of their activation. They have a player base with hundreds of thousands and have grown 550% over the last four months. Aaron was also a former professional gamer himself. He described himself as an omni-gamer. From 2002 to 2012, he was ranked in the top 10 in Australia or the world in a wide variety of top esports, including CS, StarCraft, Call of Duty, Guild Wars, MMOs, and racing games. Since then, he has been an entrepreneur in the space as the founder of Pro Gaming LTD, XY Gaming, and now Repeat.gd. Repeat.gg. Wow. On this show, we're going to talk about being an entrepreneur in esports, improving the metrics around branded activations in the space, and the best way brands can use esports to connect with this audience. So, Aaron, go through the companies. You founded quite a few. There are plenty of startups across this industry. What advice can you give to someone in the first steps of founding their own esports or gaming company that you wish you knew when you were starting out? Don't raise before you have market fit don't do anything until you have market fit it's it's that's it that's purely it i guess there's two things and don't be a dick um but <laughs> the, the 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 biggest one is definitely until you have some form of market fit and you can find out if you've got market fit pretty quickly um just talk to people ask questions find the right people find the users find those things find out how much they're willing to pay find out if they're willing to basically work or use your product find out all these sort of things and grow that first before you start thinking oh this is amazing this is going to work because i think there's there's and and then i guess the other one actually is learn from past experiences and a lot of people don't do that especially within esports because the history have a have a chat to someone like either myself or have a chat like don't talk to someone who's a consultant that's been in the year for, in, the, in the game for two years talk to someone who's been in the industry for 20 years because they will tell you a lot more valuable information than someone who's been in it for two years and only knows about the current scene because the current scene it's all about raising this big money about raising this big capital and you don't get the history of like the the companies like tournament.com that raised a hundred million dollars and went broke over six months you don't have cgl cgl or cgs i think it is that raised a hundred million dollars as well and went broke after a year and a half you don't have all of these kind of things and where playverse was as an example before they became what they raised what they are now and that 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 you can't even find on the internet even though i know the history there and there's a lot of other companies like that that you'll that you you only get from the perspective of people that have actually been in the industry because people are pretty good at either scrubbing the internet or it's just hard to find anything that isn't relevant now 
Absolutely agree. It's the same advice I give to student journalists. I talk to quite a few classes about, hey, what can you do to be an esports journalist? What if we want to get involved in this space? And the first thing I tell them is get to know the history of this space. Get to know everything that happened with Major League Gaming from 2002 yep. to 2010. <laughs> uh, that's where the start. Get to know the Korean Esports Association, how this developed in Asia. And that will guide your accurate reporting on this space if you understand what happened before you probably got involved in it. That was the case for me coming out of school. You know, I was in the 2015, 2016 range. It was like, oh, massive, uh, massive square guard and League of Legends. It's this crazy thing. And you go back in time and you're like, okay, let's look at the Madden tour bus as like an example of where <laughs> just these things that happened in esports over the time that I think are really crucial to helping understand how we got to the place we're at today and then help give you those guiding lessons uh, to make sure that the same mistakes aren't made. Well, MLG and ESL are two really good examples of understanding their acquisitions, why they happened, what happened with them, the issues they ran into, especially MLG with Gottfrag, because they had a whole pile of litigation issues with Gottfrag um, when they did their acquisition, why they got acquired by Activision. Um, and it's it's an interesting story that's probably better for another time. But um, in terms of those sort of things and that history that was kind of built there is actually really important um, because getting acquired as a skilled gaming platform, tournament platform, broadcasting, platform any of those by a publisher is a huge problem um from both a legal nightmare and a whole pile of other things uh because the skilled gaming requires 18 plus as well as the tournament system requires 18 plus or parental guidance etc etc um so it becomes a minefield on those sort of things and then you've got esl same thing going through their acquisition and the different times they are now with a modern times group and and the difference in the kind of the company structure because everyone sees esl and they see these companies and they're like they must be making a, a, a billion dollars and i'm like yeah it doesn't look like that it, it may seem like that from the outside because they're doing these large events and they're doing these things but in terms of the revenue is not driven as much as you kind of think from that it's really driven through the publishers yeah if you're not if you're not the publisher of a game and you work in esports yeah. chances are the money is not flowing you're exactly there's only a few outlets that kind of work and I've been in basically every single facet of that because I used to run events with ESL. I used to run a lot of those sort of things with them for a long time, actually. Um, ESL, ESWC, WCG, a lot of the events around those and running those live events is, is great, but it's like a break-even marketing cost. It's not a, it's, it's what you'll use to fuel income elsewhere, not what you'll use to make money. Loss leader marketing, basically, at this yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, that's it's a funny industry to be in, especially as we look at where esports organizations are going. And this is totally off topic, by the way. Uh, just the I had when was this for? This wasn't for a podcast, but I talked to Jason Lake and Andy Miller. Jason Lake, Complexity CEO, Andy Miller, and our GCEO for our audience. I know you know that. Uh, they were basically talking about, hey, we're going to make revenue eventually when our relationship with the publishers evolves. That's that's what we're counting on to make money. And in the meantime. We're going to keep building our brand up in whatever way we can. We're going to keep trying to capture fans. But really, we just need to get to a point where publishers need us to enter the game because that will bring fans. That will bring the marketing they're looking for. And then the publishers have to reward us for doing so. And that's kind of just where the, the biggest esports organizations in the world see this space right now. And that's it tells a lot, I think. 
Well, you actually have a look at most of the esports organizations are actually converting from competitive play to content creation. Almost all of right. them are converting over to that for revenue basis because I've talked to a lot of these guys. Um, you have come like you've got Team Liquid as an example of trying to push in the tech side of things because we've talked to them a few times about what they're doing for tech. Uh, we've also consulted with the guild who raised with uh, David Beckham, or sure. well, they paid David Beckham to raise. It was it was a debacle. <laughs> it was, was a interesting. Thing. They 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 are doing a good job, I think, but they're really heavily like 90 percent of the money that they raise is purely in tech it's not to do to build out the team and build out anything on that on the, on the um competitive side it's pure, purely build out both the content side as well as a tech play on their own um because at the end of the day all this content and everything that they're creating in these fans and these users they need to figure out a way to monetize them and monetizing them generally comes through like merchandise it comes through tournaments it comes through brand deals and unfortunately if you're the best gamer in the world it doesn't mean you have a massive following because you may not be entertaining to watch so therefore content creation becomes king for this and which in turn fuels brands which in turn fuels everything else and like i was just talking to so i was, I was consulting with uh, idc i think uh, like probably a couple of weeks ago I was, I was talking to them um because they're doing metrics on esports at the moment and it was a pretty interesting conversation because they're one of the first companies that isn't yuzu that isn't that that's doing it this doing esports revenue a very different way. So esports revenue right now is calculated is uh, how much. So it's like 1.2 billion or something. It's basically nothing um, compared to the publisher revenues, like 160 billion. Um, right. So and that's where most of the revenue from esports is actually going. So what they're doing is they're doing a, a bottom up kind of approach and looking at all of these other things that are kind of skewing it. So right now, esports revenue is calculated with just brands that are paying for events and advertising and all the dollars around that around Twitch, basically. Um, whereas they're looking at it from the other side of things and they're like, look, there's all this gambling revenue that's also generated on top of, um, like betting on these matches and all this, that's looking, that's, that's fueling esports revenue. And you've got companies like skills that their revenue alone for skills is bigger than the revenue of every single esports team that exists in the world in esports. That's, that's, that's just what it is. <laughs> um, and they're doing esports tournaments, I guess you would call it, but there's there's a distinction that it kind of needs to be made in this industry and it's not being made in a lot of conversations is there's a difference between esports and, and competitive gaming. So that's, that's a big distinction point that is uh, pretty fascinating to me. And I had, there's an episode we're going to publish uh, next week where I talked to a professor, Dr. Seth Jetty, who helped write an article titled The $1 Billion Myth. And it basically... Uh, it, it it takes the two the competitive gaming and esports thing and it's like actually all competitive gaming is esports which most people in the esports community disagree with and it's like this industry is actually worth 25 million dollars yeah and i disagreed starting the conversation by the end of it i'd kind of come around to it and again we're getting totally off base because i want to ask about repeated these, <laughs> yeah, these tournament platforms uh... no i find it i find it very interesting uh but basically, it's like, where do we draw the line? And they found yep. basically, yeah, the major publishers, Epic Games, Riot Games, brought in a revenue of somewhere about $25, $26 billion. And they're like, well, their games are esports games, so that's all esports revenue. And that's not how it's quantified by Nuzu or by IGC when yep. you get the $1 billion mark. And then you have other people like the Kotaku article being like, actually, the $1 billion mark is too high. That's way too yep. high. That's a bubble. So, <laughs> you know, the the analytics in this industry are all over the place. And a lot of it comes down to the distinction of what is and what is not esports. Yep. Um, 
And so I'm curious from, from your perspective and talking to brands on this, how do you cut through the muddy analytics, uh, especially when <laughs> working with major brands that are used to very clean cut analytics generally when they put marketing budget down? So we actually provide them with analytics that make sense. Um, so we actually built that for a reason. And what we're doing is like, so our platform's built out so that brands can both A-B test their advertisements, they can geotarget their advertisements, they can track the metrics on them, they can see how well they're performing. So this advertisement versus this age group or this audience in that tournament is performing better than this and this. We also guide them very kind of heavily on which game titles to target because those game titles are very... Uh, uh, specific on demographics as well as geographics. Um, so if you're targeting Fortnite as an example, your demographic, like the average age in most of these tournaments is like basically just above 18. It's like 18.2. Whereas if you're targeting games like Call of Duty, it's like 21 to 22. So it's like 21.5 is the average age in these tournaments. So the older demographic, if they're after, they're going to be going for different game titles. League of Legends, on the other hand, skews older again. Um, so it, And then obviously, depending if you want to aim for the Asian Asian market you're going to want league of legends you're going to want those sort of titles if you want to get the indian market you're going to want PUBG. if you're going to want um basically the american market you're after either two titles which is cod and fortnite um so it, it's very kind of different and then the the other thing with working with all of these brands is them understanding the how they they want to they want to throw up tournaments there for game titles that they lob or they want to throw up titles there for game titles, and they expect if they throw up a $100,000 prize pool for a Hearthstone tournament, as an example, that they'll get a big viewership, and that's sadly not the case. They have to they have to adapt to the culture and adapt to the trends. Anyway, that was getting off topic, but um, versus basically them trying to get them to adapt the other way. But in, in short, we provide all that ROI and all those metrics. So we, we give them a report on every single tournament we do, every single event we kind of host. We give them reports, metrics, data, and that sort of stuff they kind of need. Yeah, good luck trying to get people to watch Hearthstone esports. I, exactly. I say, as a Hearthstone player, Hearthstone people don't get mad at me. I played more Hearthstone probably than almost every one of our listeners. It's an absurd amount at this point. I have you to. I love the game. I love the game. Yeah. I played Arena. I've got like 6,000 Arena wins, something like that. Like, yeah, I've played this game. Hearthstone esports never took off for a reason. And we had Firebat yeah. on this show, in case you guys want to learn about why that never took off, you can hear from the first world champion. Uh, so go find that podcast if you'd like to learn about why people don't watch Hearthstone esports. Uh, <laughs> it's random. It's also That's very why. specific on how you kind of do stuff too. So like Fortnite as an example, Fortnite esports is actually pretty terrible. Um, oh, yeah. It has always been terrible. Also random. It's because it's because they do it in battle royale mode but now you do so we run um we run oci and bfg uh bfc with um with some of the teams we work with so tsm is an example we work with on oci and we hosted it yesterday i think we we're number one to five on on twitch on for Fortnite. um but that's not a battle royale it's actually we're doing zone wars which is a basically 2v2 3v3 mode within Fortnite that we're doing is customs so and that's way more engaging than watching 100 people because it's about building a story so the reason esports is so successful for viewership is because of that story they build so the reason counter-strike has always done better than um or dota or league of legends has always done better than Fortnite um when they do their big ones for viewerships 
is because of the stories they build. Because if you have a Fortnite game where you drop 100 people into a map there and you're trying to basically try to create a story between 100 people where you're seeing them follow each other, you're seeing them like go up on each other, they're going doing this, you can't because you're trying to follow 100 people and you're just tracking people getting shot. That's it. And it's not very exciting. It's like, oh, cool, he shot him. It was impressive, but it wasn't like a lead up to it. Whereas if you look at Counter-Strike or you look at these other games, it's basically you follow the story of a player and you're like, oh, he's going in. Oh my God, he dodged that. He did that. It, it, it's exciting. And then it's like, oh my God, I can't believe he did that. And it changes the whole attitude. Um, and that's why it's way more exciting to kind of watch that. Um, and that's why they're looking to start converting some of these game modes over. And that's why Fortnite has taken off for a lot of these, but it's, it's not playing the traditional mode. That's all it is. Zone Wars, uh, I used to write for Fortnite Intel back like two years ago at the height of Fortnite's popularity because anything that had Fortnite in the title, you could get, you could guarantee yep. 10,000 clicks <laughs> on an article. So it was like the pay was the best in all of esports mm-hmm. and gaming journalism. Um, side, that's how this industry works, by the way, in case you're not familiar with it. Uh, you have to, and I remember that was, I made multiple arguments for like, this is the mode, and I didn't have a name for it, but I was like, this is the fast paced action. Yep. that Fortnite needs to be successful as an esports because the Battle Royale thing is never going to work. And back then, that was before they even had any sort of ranked structure. That was like pre-Fortnite World Cup, all all that kind of stuff. And it was... Uh, I'm glad they finally made it. I feel like if they'd made it during the peak of Fortnite's popularity, the game could have really expanded the entire esports side instead of continuing yep. to focus on putting swords in the day before a million-dollar tournament. <laughs> Uh, that just <laughs> what a debacle that was okay again we're off topic topic again this is my fault this is my fault i want to be very clear uh one thing i wanted to ask back on the brand side yeah we mentioned analytics and you know in my conversations with people around at ad week at esports insider i've talked to quite a few major brands uh and off the record i've i've heard from many more where hey this is where are things breaking down especially when it comes to the top level of major brands and there's three major reasons i hear for why something broke down and i'm curious uh from your perspective the first is holding to outdated stereotypes what the gaming demo is two any association with violence or brand safety and three the lack of analytics now this is probably a bit of a flawed exercise but if you had to rank those three from most common roadblock to least common how would you rank those Violence is definitely... So you, you're talking about ranking them with working with brands or ranking them as in like what... Like is in why we run into a roadblock when we work with brands? Or is that yeah, that I guess the, yeah. I guess most likely reason you run into a roadblock. Yep. Is it violence, yeah. brand safety, uh, stereotypes for the gaming demo that are probably or inaccurate, analytics. or analytics? Yeah, so generally violence is definitely one. So a lot of our advertisements, even for COD, so some of the companies we work with have direct partnerships with Call of Duty. So we have to go through an approval process with them. But but even on the advertisements we use for those tournaments, we have to have avatars without guns. And it's very awkward deleting a gun from a Call of Duty skin when, when you buy the product <laughs> that we're helping them sell, you get that skin in the game as the promotion it's it's an interesting line to draw and it's fine i think there's nothing wrong with that and we 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 obviously adhere to those kind of guidelines because we have to it makes sense like i get it because of the audience they're kind of targeting may skew younger or older or whatever it is um so they're worried about those sort of things but it's it's an interesting one so that's definitely probably one of the biggest ones the second one is definitely star stereotypes is 
I don't think that's a barrier that we ever run into with brands um, that we have a problem uh, to be able to sell to them because of stereotypes. The problem is, is instead we have problems with them. They have these preconditions of stereotypes for these gamers that it makes it a little bit harder for us to convert. Um, so we have to do a little extra work to basically... Uh, I can't use examples of any of the brands we work with because I don't want to say any names, but there was some some advertisements we got from that brand. They sent me a list of 20 different advertisements. Um, and they're like, hey, these are the advertisements we want to use as the messaging. I told them within like three minutes, I can't use any of them. Um, not one. Um, because they were going to be all PR nightmares for that brand. Um, because they're either female-focused on certain things, male-focused on things they shouldn't have. There was preconditions of the gamers and everything has to be technology. If we throw up a whole pile of really cool overlays and we put headphones on them and they're staring at a computer that's a VR holographic computer, oh, no. it, it so so that's where stereotypes becomes a problem for us because we have to kind of break that barrier and say, look, gamers are normal people. They want insurance. They have cars. They eat food. <laughs> they go to the toilet like everyone else. So they need toilet paper. There's all these things that are consistent things that every gamer, they're, they're still humans. So treat them that way. And let's, let's try to organize that because like if you're doing an advertisement for them, it's much cooler to throw really cool looking graphics and really cool looking stuff. And then in-game assets and all these sort of things at them then try to um, try to appease what they think the stereotype is, and then yeah, the last one is analytics. That's always a problem. We have to we 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 take um kind of pride in kind of pushing that as much as we can to give them the best results and adjusting and A/B testing and all that. Because at the end of the day, if we do a good job with that, they come back. Like that's it. It's it's it's. I don't understand why no one wants to kind of focus on that. Because if your job and you do it good, and you do it well, and you get the analytics and the data's there, then they're gonna come back as a repeat client. It's simple. Yeah, that's the easiest way to make your case multiple times uh, is to show that hey, this worked clearly, and here's the the ROI on it. It was an interesting. Uh, thank you for going through those. I thought that was that was quite interesting, and it, it there is a very stark difference between brands that understand gaming, and you could tell, like you said, in the first three minutes, you could understand, hey, the the person behind this brand is a gamer or has some sort of knowledge of this space versus they're not. And yep. I just saw with the Ford F one fifty, I covered that for Adweek this week. They one there was one thing that made it clear to me that they understood the space. And that was that they created a freestyle Rocket League competition, which is yep. freestyling is basically just doing crazy flip resets, jumping off the ceiling, bouncing off the ground, whatever you want to do. But it's a fairly niche part of the Rocket League community. And people inside it are, are well aware of people freestyling. But a brand like Ford is not always going to be. And that was kind of like the, okay, these people probably get it because they made a smart competition to do this. And then I'm hoping that they also are mandating that all eight freestylers are using Ford F-150s because that would also it be smart. It drives viewership. It's amazing. Like those, the videos that get viewership, and I assume they do their research on that for Rocket League, the videos that get viewership are those videos that do freestyles. They do yeah. the uh, the double taps, triple taps, the stuff off the roof to basically do the trick shots. And I'm like, it's amazing to see. I'm like, because I play a ton of Rocket League and it's it's hella fun. But um. That's the best. Like game. A, it, it's amazing. It is amazing. They did such a good job with it. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that I think about sixty to seventy percent of the brands we work with um, haven't done a ton of stuff in esports before. So we kind of there's between myself, um, Scott Bonarski, and there's like there's like three or four of us in our team that have been in esports now for fifteen plus years. Um, so whether it's on the tech side, the marketing side, the team side, so we kind of want to guide them through that as much as we can, and we kind of offer kind of like a concierge service to do that. Um, because at the end of the day, exactly as I said, if if it goes well and it performs well, which we want them to do, then at the end of the day, it kind of helps us in the end. So we always try to aim for that. Like, and you don't see that enough. A lot of these guys are like, oh, they're paying us 50 grand. We'll just do that one and done. And I'm like, that's not how it should be. Just do the best job. Like it's, 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 and, and get it done properly. Like if it's going to cost you and your margins are only 10% instead of, you know, 40%, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, just do a good job. They'll keep coming back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, in the interest of time, there was one other subject that I want to talk about. We touched on it earlier, but we were touching on a lot of other things as well. Uh, and that's the value of the branded tournament, which is kind of core to what Repeat does. And something that I've been noticing more and more brands are stepping up to do. I saw JBL did one with 100 Thieves a few months ago. Uh, we were seeing in Valorant, we were seeing quite a few brands host some of the uh, initial rollout of the Valorant esports and hosting their own tournaments there. And then more on the niche side with Repeat, Honey, Zaps, uh, using these gaming tournaments as a way to connect with the gaming audience. It's sort of a different strategy than just buying sponsorship space. Uh, what does a tournament deliver that other branded activations in the space do not? So it's not that a tournament delivers what they need to a degree. It's how you do it. So we do it a lot different to kind of every other platform out there. If you jump on a lot of our competitors' websites and you just do a tournament, your value is almost nothing. Um, and I, I can tell you that with certainty because I've got the case studies there with the, the kind of the backing behind it um, for viewership. And it depends on what you're after. So if you're doing a tournament like they're doing with 100 Thieves, the only thing you are leveraging is viewership of the very best players. That is it. You get three hours to capture that audience and nothing else so you you have a tournament there with 100 thieves you get three hours of viewership on twitch and if you don't capture what you need to during that three hours you've lost that's it there's nothing there if you like you have a look at uh phase clan did one there with verizon that got a thousand viewers you then have a look they they basically refine that over time and eventually they end up getting 30 40 000 viewers for the valorant one i think it was so they did good with that but you have a look at the chipotle series that's taken a long time for them to kind of get off the ground and do that and they've done a good job with it because i think chipotle did an amazing job purely because they kept it consistent so with these tournaments and these series if you keep it consistent i think you're going to drive that viewership and do a much better job but the problem is is that's that's it you're just getting viewership what we actually do with that is a little bit different so we do we do these series there that are very similar to the viewerships you see that they do with the other brands like that but we we host qualifiers for them so as a quick kind of thing, we, we create our asynchronous tournaments. So our tournaments there aren't these bracket-based tournaments you'll, you'll see everywhere else. So where you have 16 people and all you can have is 16 competitors in it, and then it gets down to eight competitors, two competitors, and whatever, and that's it, they play. Um, and it halves each time, and 16 people coming to a website and um, looking at an advertisement isn't, a, isn't enticing. Like, it's just to a brand, who cares? 
what we do is we create qualifiers. So these are asynchronous tournaments. Um, what an asynchronous tournament is, is basically we track every game a user plays over the time span of the tournament. So this could be a week, it could be two weeks, it could be a month, however long that kind of lasts. Um, based on their performance in game, we track things like deaths, kills, gold collected, uh, healing done, all of their statistics. Uh, we calculate the overall score for that game and take their best few matches to make up their overall score in the tournament. Um, then we order all those entrants from highest, highest to lowest, and basically we turn these players into a fantasy sports player within the game. So what this allows us to do, does that sort of make sense? Yeah, that makes sense to me. The I love the fantasy cop. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so they're basically their own fantasy sports player in the game. So the better you perform, the better you play, the better you, you perform each of these games you play, the better you rank. That's it. At the end of the day, that's that's the main kind of thing that we kind of leverage there. We then track all the different ranking systems and everything like that to make it fair play for everyone. Um, but at the end of the day, what this does is it allows us to create tournaments that are global. It allows us to create tournaments there. So if you're in Europe and North America and everything like that, you can all compete in this together because you were tracking your scores and your metrics you're playing. Um, and then also on top of that, we're able to create these tournaments that have 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 people which are huge. So if you have 100,000 people coming to the page and because they're asynchronous and it lasts a week, a normal bracket tournament, you're basically allowing these users, what they do is there's 16 of them, they come back each weekend and they play their one game and they look at the page and that's it. Instead, because we're updating your analytics every single time you play a match, what this user is now doing is, let's say that tournament lasts a week, they're jumping in the tournament, they press their one button to play. They now go play the game like they normely would they check their results and they come back to the site and they're like, oh, if I got two extra kills, oh my God, I would have gone up. So they go back, they play the game, rinse, repeat, and it creates this cycle. So now they're coming back to the site two to three to four or five times per, per day, which means they're seeing your advertisements, they're seeing your brand, you're able to update those, you're able to change those, you'll be able to do a ton of different things around that, which is kind of amazing for a brand. So instead you're getting 10,000 people seeing your advertisement three to four times a day with positive sentiment because you've done something for them. You haven't just tried to sell a product you've created an event you've created a tournament for them to play in it's amazing so and, and then and then you get all this cloud around it because sorry um one of the one of the other things that we make sure that we do is we always try to pay 30 to 40 percent of people in that tournament so every other tournament platform tries to play pay the top two to three that's it what we always do is we try to pay the top 30 to 40 percent because everyone thinks they're better than average. So everyone thinks they can win. So everyone thinks they're better than 50% of people. 40% is close enough. They think they have a chance to win. So they keep playing. They keep trying. They keep doing it. So it creates this kind of always-on kind of tournament mode where these users can keep playing. And so does that sort of make sense of what we kind of do around that? Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. It sounds very similar to what the Daily Fantasy sites did and yeah. were so successful with, which is, hey, we're going to pay out quite a few people and you're only going to get paid out maybe double your buy-in or whatever it is yep, but exactly you'll get you'll get paid out and you'll have a chance to win and if you miss one thing that doesn't mean that oh, okay well now there's no no there's no way i'm finishing in the top five or whatever so i'm gonna quit exactly. so yeah it's, it's a much more inclusive competitive structure and one that a lot of brands are finding a lot of success with yeah, so we kind of that's how we kind of do our things, and then we have offer a whole pile of things on top of this for the brands. So the entry fee can be customized for these brands. Um, so the tournaments are free to enter, but they can be the entry fee for the user could be they have to download an app for them, they have to watch a thirty second video, they have to complete a two two question survey, or they have to do an action for that brand. So something that helps them. So they're not just getting advertising throughout; they're also getting an interaction or an action to start with, and it creates a massively different way to 
kind of do it. So the problem with bracket tournaments is, is if you're trying to host a 10,000 person bracket tournament, you'll now have to schedule over 25,000 matches in a period of a week. Even if you're scheduling a match once every three minutes, good luck. Um, you're still not going to be able to do it. Um, so so that's why logistically everything is completely automated on our end. There's no people power needed. There's nothing like that. That's why we built this tech. Um, but that's that's how we host our tournaments. But on the event side of things, like what you're kind of leading to to start with is we we host these qualifiers so with oci with um with tsm ops we're doing right now which we had yesterday with 60 to 80 000 viewers concurrent at any time um throughout the whole day what we were doing is we hosted a qualifier so the qualifier lasts from monday till i think saturday um and anyone in the world can has a chance to play in that qualifier so we get thousands of people showing up for that qualifier in the top two places get to play either in a pro-am every single Tuesday with the professionals. So the top 10 players in the world, they get to play in a tournament with them to try to basically play against them in his own wars to see how well they stack up. Or alternatively, we sometimes host a pro-am where they get to play on the same team as the professionals. Um, and what we do is we have what's called a carry tax. So if the professionals have one of the... Um, the um the the players that qualified from repeat on their team they get paid an extra thousand dollars if they win each of these matches so basically we call it a carry tax because they carried them to get there so they love that as well for cloud that's a that's a cool that's a cool uh tag i like that i just had a thought while you were answering that and i haven't totally fleshed this out yet so uh, i appreciate any critiques to it but i'm curious you know the last you know, of all the trends that are happening in esports at once the franchise league move especially as it happened in call of duty where call of duty went from a very open ecosystem to a very closed one in the span of uh four months basically from the move from cwl to cdl and i'm curious if that opens up more opportunities for brands and for other tournament structures because uh, there isn't as many like hey we're gonna try and qualify for CWL tournaments, so we need all these game battles wins or all these other things. Is there more opportunities for branded tournaments now that we move towards a closed ecosystem? Like, again, I have not fleshed this thought out whatsoever, but are people more interested in, like, the random community tournament now? Because there's less being put on by developers themselves? Um, I, I don't know whether there's less or more. Like, to be honest, I think... I, I can't really answer whether there is or isn't because I think there, the the problem is is the industry as a whole is kind of on a curve growing right. So I think there's more people wanting them regardless, but I don't know if it's because mm. of that. Like I don't sure. know if that is kind of the linchpin. I think for brands, there's definitely a few more opportunities because the the publishers, in all honesty, are struggling with the brands that they have on board. Um, you take uh, I actually I'm not going to name any names, but some of the publishers are talking to us as ways to help them because um they're looking for outlets because their series only lasts for three months but they have these big brands on board that they're like what do we do for the other nine months so they're looking for outlets to kind of work with platforms like us to basically support those brands over the basically what do they do for the other six months um or nine months or however long it actually is and so they're looking for outlets there to actually help them as well because these publishers they don't build tournament platforms they don't create all of this that's not their job it also becomes a real problem for them as a publisher to host these tournaments because if they want to host these tournaments directly in their game fortnite's been been doing a very good job with it but there's 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 a lot of restrictions on how they can do stuff um and it's because they have to be over the age of 18 or have parental consent or have all these sort of things if they are under 18 so it restricts a lot of what they can do whereas a third party doing that they can do that a lot more seamlessly
Interesting. Yeah, that's a, it's a great point. And like, how do you uh, deliver value for brands all the way around? So keep them on the hook, basically. And you're not constantly restarting with the start of every new year being like, okay, what brands do we have this year? You know, let's keep them around, keep them doing these long-term partnerships. And we're starting to see more and more, but they're, they're coming with the, I guess the Intel and ESL partnerships, the longest running in all of like Western esports, probably uh, maybe anything else. No, Kate, I think like, that's, that's pretty much it. To be honest, is that it's probably the biggest one that's been consistent. You've got newer ones that are coming with Toyota with uh, the Overwatch League. They've done that every year, I think. Um, but yeah, Coke too, thanks wise, to Bobby. Yeah, Coke, but Coke have, Coke have been an interesting one. They've kind of gone in and out of a lot of their partnerships, to be honest. They've been consistent in esports, but in terms of what they're actually doing has changed quite a lot over time, and they change that uh, constantly. I thought they were Overwatch from the jump. Maybe they, they I, have they been, but it? it's not it's it's not as it's not as prominent as i think um like they're they're in it but i sorry i think i think it's just overwatch's general is just not huge to be honest is why i'm kind of like kind of wrapping it off compared to like if they were in fortnite it'd be a big difference because the game is like 10x the size um makes sense makes sense makes sense yeah the mastercard league of legends is probably on its way to being that you know it's at two right now but uh yeah, there's a couple others too. I covered on the esports minute. Alienware and Team Liquid are just did ten years. Evil Geniuses and Monster are about to do ten years. Uh, so there's some interest here on the esports organization side. Wow, I didn't even weeks. know Monster had been around for ten years. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I I tweeted it out, and as we were covering, as I was covering the Liquid Alienware thing, I was like, anybody in esports know any other partnerships? And uh, somebody somebody random pulled up a tweet from EG and Monster, and we're just like, hey, this started in <laughs> 2011. Here's the first tweet and then the mo- a monster rep popped in it was like yep still going strong uh for, nice. for nine and a half years so uh it's it's fascinating looking at just sort of the the length of some of the brand partnerships and how we're finally seeing some brands reach these really long-term milestones they have changed a lot like 2013 i think was kind of like the the lynch point when it kind of changed it's kind of ridiculous and when it kind of everything kind of 2013 2014 before that it was a mess like i was getting sponsorships for some of my teams and stuff like that you're getting maybe 5k a month for five dudes uh we had raised a sponsor a house for us for 12 months was interesting and they just basically just paid our rent um (laughs) so it wasn't (laughs) like it wasn't like what you had now whereas like back then it was very vastly different you were still kind of scrapping to get stuff like i mean i was still earning probably 10 grand a week from diablo 3 i think i remember when i was playing that and that's where my income came from um versus um the brand sponsorships and stuff like that it was definitely a lot less it was like yeah five grand a week and we'd have three to five sponsors right they're they're willing to toss uh, you month, something sorry. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Five yeah, five grand a month versus now it's like you're getting CD sponsorship deals. I know Cloud9 is an example. They won't accept any deals less than half a million dollars. Um, sure. And the reason I know that is because I've talked to a lot of them there, um, which makes sense because they're getting off of these bigger things. Why are you going to kind of push down for little, little kind of all the smaller ones? Yeah, the 100 Thieves Cash App Compound. Who I don't yep. know how much that was worth, but it's worth it's worth more than five grand a month. I'll tell you that much. I, I was I was there literally. I think it was in February, checking out the place with Nate uh, Nate shot and stuff like that. I think it was February, uh, right before COVID, all kind of kind of broke loose. It was it was interesting. We went to there and the, the the Team Liquid Compound. It was pretty cool. I'm jealous. I, I wanted to. I moved to Vegas in like late January and was like, awesome. I'm gonna go to. LA a bunch like I'm gonna go see all these different places all these esports uh, facilities and stuff and then COVID hit and so now I'm 
I'm still uh, still looking at it. 100 Thieves, if you're listening here, I, I know uh, Anna, your PR rep, you still listen to this show. So I'm still interested in coming. I'm coming after the, uh, once we can't do it. Uh, but Aaron, before we get too off base again, I'd love to have you back on the show to kind of just talk about esports history and some of those moments along the way. Uh, of course, really interested in what Repeat is doing as well. So I appreciate you coming on, sharing your perspective on all things esports. I want to give you one final chance to turn the mic over to you. What do you want people watching out for, looking, following, uh, coming from Repeat in the coming months? Yeah, so obviously we're going to be pushing a ton more game titles, game modes. We're doing a whole pile of custom lobbies and integrations directly. But I think there's kind of three major things we'll be pushing over the next 12 months. So one of them is publisher integrations directly within the games. So looking down through different uh, avenues for that. Uh, also Discord direct integrations. So being able to play, access, see your tournaments and everything directly from Discord uh, natively through the app as well as the ability for, um, and then the third one is is the ability for brands, communities, and kind of everyone to be able to have repeat tournaments directly on their app or in their app or on their website. Um, so we can kind of push that out there kind of organically and grow through that. So we're doing a ton of different things that are more focused on how do we allow others to connect to us versus basically building out just feature sets? Because I think it's 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 important for us to not try to, we don't want to drag all these people from Discord to our website. It's like they have a community that's amazing already on that app. How do we fuel that? They already have this amazing community on stuff they're already utilizing or technology. How do we fuel that? Instead of trying to basically try to drag someone over because it's the same message you do with, the, with um, gaming culture is you don't try to change the culture so if you're a brand coming in don't try to push your culture on gaming it's the other way around have yourself adapt i love that i love that understand the gaming audience and uh it will the gaming audience will pay back dividends but if you don't they're going to meme your brand uh to all (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) embrace the meme is one of my favorite like three word (laughs) slogans for how brands can uh can be successful in this space is Hey, if they start memeing you, roll with it. Roll yeah, with like, it. Tweet it. Like you'll get the retweets. You'll get the the engagement that you're hoping for. We've done a ton of stuff with different brands, and I think it's probably one of the biggest things we've said. Like we work with the U.S. Army. We work with Turtle Beach, Jack Links, Honey, GameStop, Tatinos. They're all clients of ours, and all of them we kind of push that same message. And Tatinos, I think, is doing an amazing job because all they've done is pump out a ton of uh, basically Call of Duty memes, and they've done a good job with that with their promotion. So I think they're doing a really cool job. I do. I would love to work with the number one brand. I'd love to work with just as a shout out wendy's if you're listening come talk to us because you do some really cool stuff and i really just want to work with um their uh, twitter team because their twitter team is hilarious they're absolutely fantastic i sent a message actually i've been watching a lot of tiktok and arby's is killing it on tiktok and i sent a message oh, i haven't to, seen that i'll have to have a look <laughs> go go check out their channel they did a great one where they seemed like they were holding an influencer hostage yep. and she was like we have the we have the meats and it was like, yes. And like behind the camera, it was, <laughs> it was great, great memeing. And then the top comments, Arby's got like 200,000 likes on yep. TikTok. It was, it was really smart. So I sent that to uh, the head of creativity at ad week. And it was like, is Arby's to TikTok what Wendy's is to Twitter? And uh, <laughs> he laughed. So we'll, we'll see if I get to write that article in the future, but oh, that's I, awesome. The, the, the fast food meme wars on social media are definitely one of my favorite like ongoing things that's happening at branding. It just kind of brands not taking themselves too seriously and allowing themselves to have fun and then seeing the dividends paid back uh, through that. 
Yeah, I mean, like at the end of the day, if you embrace these gamers, they hear your name and you, you can find a kind of helping them and, and, and ingrating in their culture, it becomes a completely different message. I think Turtle Beach, out of all the brands, have done the best job doing that, becoming an unknown brand that no one knows, that's literally wax for your car, that have been able to ingrain themselves into the community with such a good job by supporting esports. Because at the end of the day, if you're, you're presented by 30 different brands in front of you, the one you're going to buy is the one that supports your passion. That's it. Sorry, did, did you say Turtle Beach is like a wax? Oh, no, no, Turtle Beach. Sorry, Turtle Wax. Sorry. Okay. Wrong one. Yeah, Turtle, Turtle Wax. Sorry. <laughs> I was so uh, confused. I was like, did no, Turtle, no. the headset manufacturer uh, make wax at one point? No, no, no. About... It was Turtle, Turtle Wax. Sorry. Okay. Wrong makes one. sense. But makes yeah, sense. Turtle, Turtle Wax like... have continued their sponsorships with it. I think they've done a really good job for a, for a non-endemic brand. Done amazing. Definitely, definitely. Really, really, I was like, "Wow, Turtle Beach did a great job of uh, of really ingratiating themselves in the esports community." I, I just remember because they're one of the brands that we work with just recently last month, so they're really like close in my head. I just keep sorry rather than Turtle Wax. No, 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 no. no. It's a uh, it, it's an easy easy uh, hop to make, but yeah, it, I, I find the branding <laughs> really funny, and there's so many brands that have found a ton of success in this space uh, just by embracing gaming community and and gaming audiences and so uh, there's there's a very clear mark of brands that get it and brands that don't and now we're seeing more and more major non-endemics who are starting to get it uh the car brands doing a very good job oh yeah bmw mercedes ford uh even the like luxury brands mclaren uh it's one of the really nice car brands sponsored a, a team in Asia as well. So it's like there's a ton of major brands figuring out Nike, Adidas, and Puma all doing really cool work uh, in this space that all basically started two years ago. And now all three have esports presences. So I, it's a fun space to be in. It's fun to cover the brands <laughs> in esports in general. To our audience, Aaron, I got to let you go. We're at 45 minutes here. I know you got other things probably got to do today. It's a beautiful Thursday. I'm publishing this on February 21st, I believe. It's not super time sensitive. So to our audience, if you're listening to this, the show before this one is with Mark Boyd. He is uh, the creator or the CEO of Gravity Road, which is uh, just launched an esports branding uh, marketing practice out of uh, you and Mr. Jones. They also announced an investment in Griffin Gaming Partners. So we're going to be talking about that new marketing practice, as well as uh, what partnering with a VC firm allows for a marketing practice. A little bit interesting conversation there. And then our next show will be the Gamer Hour, of course, every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time coming out uh, with Chris Puckett talking to some celebrity. I have no idea who he scheduled out two weeks in advance, but Chris Puckett will be talking to some great celebrity and you'll be able to hear that show here on the Esports Network podcast or on the Gamer Hour YouTube channel. This show was with Aaron Fletcher, the CEO of Repeat.gg. Aaron, a pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely a pleasure, Mitch.